Welcome to The Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. What is top of mind with board directors when they think about corporate culture, ethics, and compliance? How can leaders best assess culture in the companies they oversee? Hi, and welcome to another episode of LRN's Principled Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Miner, Director of Advisory at LRN, and today I'm joined by Dr. Masha Oshagi-Hames and Dr. Eric Baldwin, Partner and Principal, respectively, at Tapestry Networks. We're going to be talking about corporate culture and how board members can improve oversight. Marsha and Eric have just collaborated with us at LRN on a report entitled Assessing Corporate Culture, a Practical Guide to Improving Board Oversight. The report presents insights from a working group of nearly 40 directors and executives representing over 60 public companies, including some of the largest companies in the world. Cigna, Sony, McKesson, Lockheed Martin, CDW, Coca-Cola, Excel Energy, and Palo Alto Networks included. Marsha, Eric, thanks for joining me on the Principled Podcast today. Emily, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us, Emily. Okay, so let's jump right in. This report, a guide really, Assessing Corporate Culture, is the result of working group sessions of the Ethics, Culture, and Compliance Network, Marsha, let me start with you. What is the ECCN? Who are its members and how did it come to be? Sure. Great. And we're happy to continue to share, you know, the Ethics Culture Compliance Network progress. Um, This network was founded in the summer of 2020. I mean, it it was during the thick of the pandemic. I mean, companies were spiraling. It was just a lot of crisis management and companies were starting to take a real reflective step back. They were assessing, you know, where do we need to look? How do we need to assess our planning for longer term future? And the conversation emerged initially, Emily, as a forum. It was a it was a safe space to convene public company directors and and senior executives, namely chief ethics and compliance officers, to to really start exploring values, uh, corporate culture, and the role of ethical decision making. And business. And Emily, if I can kind of highlight just kind of a, a few key aspects that the stakeholders of ECCN started to really prioritize over the last two years. Um, number one, the need for boards and executive teams to align and articulate culture so that management feels supported. Number two, to address the challenge of getting ethics and culture on board agendas. And to really promote, you know, directors going deeper with management, we're going to get to it shortly. Number three, ECCN stakeholders have continued to really want a, a forum to share peer-to-peer examples, pragmatic examples of the need for better communication and greater transparency between the CECO, the broader management team, and the board. Thanks, Marsha. And, you know, having sat in on some of these sessions, I know that those specific examples that you just alluded to, those were among some of the most powerful conversation prompts. So I I think that the members got a lot of value out of that, and I certainly know I did. And so this report 
builds on a report that we, Tapestry Networks and LRN, collaborated on last year, Activating Culture and Ethics from the Boardroom, which was a really insightful temperature check on boards' attitudes about culture. Eric, can you talk about that project and how it led to this latest one? Sure. You know, with last year's Activating Culture report, we had set out to understand the realities facing boards and their oversight of ethics and culture. You know, what were their key concerns, the challenges they face, uh, current practices? So to get at that, we interviewed 40 directors who occupied about 80 seats on public company boards, you know, with the aim of getting a really broad view of board oversight of ethics and culture. And what we found was a pretty diverse range of practices across boards in terms of what kinds of information they were receiving, their engagement with their management teams, including how often they heard from their chief ethics and compliance officer, a range of assignments of committee responsibilities, and, and really it's just a, a variability and how much attention the issues get from boards. And we also found a real lack of comfort among directors. So directors recognize the importance of culture and the risks associated with ethical lapses or with unhealthy cultures, but recognize that their ability to oversee culture doesn't have the level of clarity and rigor that you find in other aspects of board oversight, like say financial reporting. So there's a real gap between the seriousness of the risk associated with culture and the importance of culture on the one hand, and directors' sense of their ability, or rather, you know, lack of ability, frankly, to effectively oversee those that set of issues. So given that, it seemed crucial to start to develop some board-level tools uh, and practices that could help directors make their oversight of ethics and culture more robust. Thanks, Eric. And I know that This latest report traces its roots back to those earlier insights that you were just describing and the need for a practical framework that board members could adopt. Tell us why this framework and the specific needs it seeks to address. Yeah, so maybe I'll I'll take that one. So kind of to Eric's point, you know, we have conversations with 40 directors in 2021 and coming out of it, it was the spirit of action. How can we now take action? So the consensus was we want a simple, practical framework to start to advance the conversation. Just get the conversation started. Think of it like, you know, a simple roadmap. How can we take this into the boardroom? How can we start to, you know, connect with management um, in a, you know, uh, with simple kind of prompts, um, questions, um, you know, help us, help us organize our thoughts about how to activate and get the conversation started. And then another goal was, the input was we want to have a peer-reviewed framework. We don't want a treatise. We don't want a commission study by a third party. We want to be a part of driving the frame for what we think will have the greatest impact both uh, within boardrooms and for the boards to explore directly with the management team. And so, you know, you've talked a little bit about the approach to developing the framework, the, you know, talking to the 40 directors and the the peer-to-peer nature of it. What else about the approach of, you know, how the framework was developed, do you think contributes to the power of what it ultimately offers to boards and management teams? Yeah, I can, I can uh, jump in here. 
you know, as Marcia noted, we really wanted this to be as useful and practical for boards as possible. So that we, so we thought it was really important that it be grounded in the experience of directors. And we knew that there was a lot of a good practice already going on in boardrooms. So if we could, you know, tap into that collective knowledge and pull that together, it could be really valuable. And so the way we went about that was, was to recruit and convene a working group of about 12 to 15 members, 10 of whom were sitting public company directors. And several of those directors are current or former uh, chief ethics and compliance officers. So they've got deep experience in that space that they bring into the boardroom. And we also included a couple of sitting senior ethics and compliance executives who you know, report into boards on these matters on a regular basis to bring their perspective, as well as our colleagues uh, from LRN who brought their expertise in culture measurement. So you know, we brought the group together several times for virtual discussions, for peer exchange, to really surface the challenges and gaps that they're experiencing, to share and vet existing practices and tools, and identify some key insights and good practices that are already going on. And so out of that, our team developed a kind of draft framework, which we shared then with a larger group of about 40 directors and ethics and compliance executives to kind of pressure test our recommendations and get additional feedback before publishing the piece this summer. So I think what really gives us its power is that it is, it's grounded in the experience of the boardroom. It's peer developed and peer vetted and rooted in the efforts of directors and practitioners. Yeah, thank you, Eric. And just to, to underline something that both you and Marsha shared, I, I think something that's so compelling about it in terms of being grounded in, in that experience is, as you mentioned, many of those directors are current or former chief ethics and compliance officers. So being able to hear from people that have worn both of those hats or are wearing both of those hats, I think is so powerful. So let's, let's keep on talking about the framework. What are the, the key findings or pillars? I mean, I know that there are five pillars of the framework, and I'd, I'd love for you to expand upon those five pillars for us. Yeah, I'm happy to try to do that. There's a, there's a lot of insights there, so and I'll, I'll try to be brief. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, there are five key themes here, and, and we see them not so much as a series of steps, but more as sets of kind of interlocking practices or that kind of can mutually reinforce each other. So briefly, you know, the first is really just to make ethics and culture a priority. You know, we've, we've heard from directors that culture and ethics often don't get enough time and attention in the boardroom. They get pushed to the bottom of crowded board agendas. So, you know, a key step is simply just to ensure that they get priority on the agenda, that they get enough time and attention. And it's really crucial, you know, we heard that, that boards communicate to management that culture and ethics are priorities, uh, which they can do by pushing for information, asking questions, following up, probing. You know, management needs to know that ethics and culture are board priorities. The second is for boards to take a look at their own culture. You know, boards have their own internal cultures. Uh, and the culture of the board influence, influences the culture of, of the organizations. You know, they sort of set the tone from the top. But, you know, directors tell us that boards don't often examine their own cultures in a rigorous way. So it's really important uh, for boards, as one member put it, to take a hard look at their own culture. And in this, it's especially important uh, for boards to assess their openness and transparency and the level of trust, both, you know, among the directors and between the board and the management team. And especially their willingness to hear difficult news and how the board responds to bad news or to hard truths. A key element, you know, we heard of ethical culture is trust and transparency. 
and to foster an environment where bad news travels fast. Uh, and that starts with the board and the board's willingness to hear bad news. The third is the challenge of being able to articulate the elements of culture and really to describe and articulate the culture you're aiming at, what you want to see in your corporate culture. And the challenge here is that culture can be a very fuzzy and abstract concept. It's implicit, it's unspoken rules and norms, and that makes it really hard to measure and assess. So anything boards and management teams can do to make discussions of culture more concrete and precise will really help. You know, this can mean breaking down ethical culture into various components, things like trust, willingness to speak out, fairness, organizational justice, so that boards and management teams have a clear answer to the question, you know, when we talk about culture, what exactly are we talking about? And a key insight here was the importance for boards to be active partners with their management teams in defining and articulate articulating the attributes of a, de, uh, of a desired ethical culture, rather than just sort of hearing them from management. Uh, contributors told us that the process of defining what a good culture looks like by fostering a, a kind of robust and structured discussion of culture is as important at the out, as the outcome. So boards need to be involved in those discussions early rather than just the management team coming to them and saying, here's what we think our culture should look like. The third is, is really about the tools that they use to measure and monitor culture, rather the fourth, excuse me. And this is all about information and data and how it comes to the board. You know, there's a pretty common range of data and information sources that boards depend on, and there's plenty of data. But the key is for boards is, is to get that information presented to them in the right way so that it has enough context that it can really make sense to them. So one key issue for boards we found is to push their management teams to report to them in such a way that insights from a range of data sources are integrated into a coherent picture or narrative. So survey data or data from culture surveys is overlaid with safety data, turnover data, and calls to the hotline, for example. Uh, boards are really looking for a more integrated view um, from their management teams. Anything that will help generate a narrative or surface patterns that help boards know where they need to follow up and probe and potentially you know, allocate more resources is really helpful. And then finally, is the issue of establishing clear communication lines. There's a lot of information relevant to culture that comes from a lot of different functional areas uh, bearing on ethics and culture. So boards need to push their management teams to be able to develop a holistic view and really ask the question, who, if anyone in the management team owns culture and owns reporting on it and can give a really kind of coherent and holistic view of culture? And the same goes for the board. Uh, at the board level, different committees on the board get reporting from different management teams, and information can become siloed. So a key question is, how can boards overcome that tendency and make sure that the entire board is getting a full picture of culture? Thanks, Eric. You did a great job of covering a lot of detail very succinctly, so I appreciate that. And, you know, you framed a lot of those those pillars kind of in the form of a question. So how can, how can boards do this? How can boards and management team collect the right data and interpret it together and break down those silos, et cetera? So I want to go into, into those hows a little bit because we call it a practical guide. So how does that manifest? How, how can this guide, I'll call it a guide and not a report, how can this guide help boards in their oversight of culture. Yeah. So Emily, maybe I'll jump in on that one. So kind of to Eric's point, as he went through, you know, these five key pillars and big insights or meta themes that kind of jumped out, each pillar is supported with countless examples 
uh, practical scenarios. And we've, we've even lifted up some, you know, direct quotes um, that came from uh, all of the contributors. And so part of this is practically speaking, we want to help agitate that curiosity from the directors. We want to encourage them, look behind the numbers, start asking some of those uncomfortable questions. We wanted to give them when you talk about sort of manifesting, how do we give directors a simple roadmap or framework to go into to start within their own boardrooms and then to look at opportunities to connect and communicate with management, to build that bridge, to forge an ongoing dialogue? So it's not going to, this is not an overnight, you know, put your hero cape on. <laughs> this is to start to create essentially, you know, more of that accountability partnership a dialogue between management and the board and framing it, you know, in these five buckets. So it's sort of like step one, are we even prioritizing this? So there, that can be a series of conversations, you know, step two, have we aligned as a board and management team? Have we been engaged as a part of articulating and assessing and understanding what is that desired culture? Are we as a board, you know, reflecting? So as, as Eric was kind of going through these, it's sort of like you need to have to have a, a roadmap, essentially, to start agitating some of that dialogue. And we wanted these pillars to become kind of levers to begin that process to engage with management. I love the, the way that you're framing this as agitating the dialogue. It's such a great, a great mental uh, descriptive image. So thank you for that, Marsha. And I know that, you know, one of the features of the report or the guide to help agitate that dialogue is a series of questions uh, that can serve as a starting point for this dialogue with management teams and within boards. Can you share some of those of those compelling prompts? Yeah, I'd be happy to uh, to give some examples. And I think um, you know questions for boards are really a key tool in their um, in their tool belt. You know, one of the things that boards are expected to do is offer a credible challenge uh, to management, and it's it's really through asking questions that they do that. And so, you know, we did include a number of questions. I think there are probably more than two dozen appended uh, to the end of the report. I will not read anything like all of them at this point, but I'll give you a couple of examples of some of the questions that we include in the report. And again, many of them line up with with some of the key buckets that we identified above. And one would be just to ask yourselves as boards, have we identified the cultural attributes and behaviors that align with our stated values and our purpose? And how can we effectively articulate the culture we're trying to achieve? And this in turn would guide management's efforts to to measure culture. Another question for the board to reflect on is, does our culture, that is the board's culture, encourage management to share those difficult truths with us? How open to debate and disagreement is our board? And then uh, we also include some, some questions that boards can ask their management teams. And one is, is to simply ask, to what extent can you provide the board with an integrated view that incorporates information from a range of sources of data into a single picture for us? How can you, can you give us an integrated view of culture? And then another question for management is, are you able to communicate directly to the board when necessary? Do you feel you have the necessary independence to bring issues and questions to the board? So those are just a few examples uh, of a number of questions that we've included in this report. Yeah, thank you. And I think that, that that's another feature of the, the practicality of this. I mean, boards can, you know, in some sense, sort of lift these questions up and apply them in their own contexts. So recently, 
Ellerance Ty Francis, uh, our chief advisory officer, had a conversation with Tom Fox, who I think we all know as the the voice of compliance um, and founder of the Compliance Podcast Network. And Tom called this report prescient more than once and cited both recent statements of Lisa Monaco, Deputy Attorney General, and rulings of the Delaware Supreme Court about the need for boards to take a more active role in monitoring and measurement. So with those those statements, that context occurring around the same time as the, the release of this guide, what do you see is the potential broader impact of the guide, the, the framework with the five pillars, the practical examples and, and discussion prompts. What do you see as the, as the potential impact of that? Yeah, so maybe I'll kind of take the lead here and, and, and Eric, if you want to share any other thoughts. But if we take a step back, I mean, this came up in, so we had a summit, um, Emily, so that, that you, of course, participated in, uh, where we brought together all of the Ethics Culture Compliance Network um, contributors, not only of the report, but other key stakeholders. And it was interesting, a few people pointed to this and they said that, you know, if you look at kind of the foundations of corporate scandals over the last few decades, there's a pattern. There's a pattern that sort of points to the failure to speak up and a correlating fear of retaliation, you know? So it's sort of that, that notion of someone always knows what's going on, right? So when you look at kind of the statements of, of Lisa Monaco and um, the Delaware Supreme Court about boards taking a more active role, you have to kind of take a step back and look at what is the role that boards can play to encourage and drive a culture that is more transparent and more open? How, does, how can a board activate open dialogue? How can a board establish a more sort of transparent tone, right? So, you know... It, we know there's enough research around this that culture is fundamental to business and tone at the top matters. And I could even say, and Emily, you and I have collaborated, full disclosure, over years in my consulting days. And I, I saw this. I can I just draw anecdotally that, you know, in 20, 20, 22 years of consulting, I would come across so many compliance executives who, who just felt like, hey, you know, is, is my company going to make the investment and, you know, in my team? And are they going to prioritize culture? You know, like SECOs, I mean, they're under a lot of pressure to operate as a resource, right? Enforce policy, develop policy, you know, they're regarded as kind of the primary architects of culture, but, you know, oftentimes they're also labeled as a cost center. So some of this stuff has been coming out, as you know, Emily and, and Eric in our conversations around like, are we leading on this or are we in a reactive mode? So I would say, you know, in terms of like the broader impact of this framework, it's the notion of how can we be proactive, you know, how can we put something at a framework and a roadmap in front of the board to agitate the curiosity, to ask for more data behind the numbers, and to empower boards and management teams to get the conversation started, right? You know, kind of to Eric's point, it's like, is it a, is it a toolbox? Is it a tool set? Well, yes, it is. It's been pressure tested by peers. It was developed by peers. They're they're trying it in their own boardrooms. They, you know, some of these some of these stakeholders um, are current or former chief ethics and compliance officers. So there's an appreciative inquiry of of the tensions on both sides of the table. So, in my opinion, I, I really forecast that this is going to have a catalyzing impact on the industry. I mean, Eric, I, I don't know, you know, thoughts on your end too. No, I would just say, you know, I think one of our hopes here is that as directors bring this 
into the boardroom. And Emily, you're right to point out that uh, it does seem like the expectations for boards uh, in oversight in this area are going nowhere but up. And, you know, it is our hope that this is a tool that helps them meet those heightened expectations, but that also that it's only a starting point that uh, that boards will use the tools in this framework to get the conversation started and come back to us with re- further recommendations of what would be, you know, additionally helpful uh, to assist them in their in their oversight here. Well, I, for one, look forward to following along and participating and seeing what the impact uh, is and, and how this framework can, you know, is used and what the feedback is from those that use it. Marsha, Eric, it has been such a delight speaking with you today about the genesis of this report and all of the insights assembled from such a stellar working group. We're out of time for today, but for those listening, if you're interested in learning more about the report, uh, the framework, etc., please look at the link in the podcast description. My name is Emily Miner, and I want to thank you all for listening to the Principled Podcast by LRN. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.